How many of you like group activities? can always tell who the uh, extroverts are. <laughs> I hate group activities. I just want you to know that. Um, and every time in, in class or um, wherever I happen to be, if I go to a seminar or a conference and the, the leader says, okay, we're going to break into small groups, <laughs> I'm out the door. Yeah. It's not that I don't like people. I just I'd prefer to work by myself when it comes to uh, whether I'm doing a project or something like that, uh, especially back when I was in school, because I didn't always know everybody in the group, and I didn't know if they would do their part, and if our grade was, um, you know, dependent upon, you know, the project total, I wanted to be sure that uh, I was making sure it was getting done. But one of the things that I've noticed with group, uh, especially group building exercises, uh, and you probably know the classic one, and you might have even participated in it. It's where you have a, all of your uh, teammates behind you, right? And you're supposed to turn around and fall backward, right? How many of you have done this? How many of you were caught? Okay, how many of you weren't caught? Yeah. Uh, I don't like that one either. And the whole idea there is that you do that so that all of you can learn how to trust one another, right? that they're going to be there for you and you, you don't have to worry about a thing. And then when people go back to their corporate offices, they rip each other apart, right? <laughs> they're not there for one another. Well, the whole idea there is about trust. It's a trust-building exercise. Because when you're out in an environment where you're working on something, you need to be able to depend on other people. You need to be able to trust them. And uh, you need to know, though, who it is that's going to catch you. And you need to know why it is that you would want to trust them in the first place. What we've heard from our psalm this morning, from Psalm 146, is that there are some things that we need to understand about trust. And the psalmist teaches us about trust. Who you can trust, who you can't trust. And as we read this psalm, uh, we are informed in many different ways that we can trust God. That God is the only one to trust, right? And uh, we'll see some contrasts that go back and forth here. But I, I found several reasons that we can trust God. And the first one is to be happy. How many of you want to be happy, right? Everybody wants to be happy. I'm not going to ask how many of you are happy today. You may have walked in here with all kinds of things on your mind or in your heart, uh, things that are weighing you down, uh, because this is what happens in life, right? Things come our way and we can be burdened and walk through life striving for happiness and yet not quite getting there, never feeling like that we've ever gotten to that point. And when we do get to that point, we feel like it doesn't last very long. One of the things the psalmist notices is, uh, psalmist says, happy are those and there are different translations for this. Some say blessed or um, encouraged or right. But happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Somewhere along the way, the psalmist realized some things. Looking around at other people, maybe people in his family, maybe people in the community, people who gathered together and worship, maybe in his own life, recognizing you know what? The people who are happy are not necessarily the people with all of the power. 
Not necessarily the people who have the best clothes on. Not necessarily people who have lots of money to spend in the market. But happy are those who have put their trust, put their hope in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. And probably this is a very personal thing for this psalmist. Just coming to that point maybe of chasing after things that that he thought would make him happy, but coming to the realization, no, it is in God. And if if we do believe that this psalmist is David, and I think there's great reason to believe that, Uh, Certainly there were other people who wrote psalms, but David was pretty prolific with, uh, with his psalms or the things that he would reflect on and write about. And so certainly if we think it's David, we know that he had a lot of reasons to get to this point in his life. I mean, being king and and from such an early age, he had his ups and downs of recognizing things that he could trust, things that he couldn't trust, even knowing he couldn't trust himself, but he could trust in God. And so happiness is a good reason to trust in God. It is not just that smile on your face, but it is the joy in the midst of suffering and pain and injustice and all the other things that he mentions here in the psalm. Amen. Uh, if you, have you ever heard the phrase, happy as a clam? <laughs> Do you really, you really want to be happy as a clam? I mean, what is a clam? Why, why is a clam happy anyway? Bill could give you great details about this later. But someone suggested that maybe we should say happy as a Dane. A Dane is someone from Denmark, right? Why Denmark? Well, a study was done not too long ago of uh, 178 different countries, nations, trying to find out which one was actually the happiest. What people in this world, around this globe, are actually the happiest people? Any ideas? about who they would be, and I just gave away the answer, I guess. Denmark. Denmark is number one. Who would have ever ever thought? Uh, The United States was 23rd out of 178. So the wealthiest nation in the world, you would think, would be the happiest, right? Not so. Not not even close. And uh, this was based on a lot of different things that, that they were looking at, but... Uh, it came down to uh, a sense of wellness or a sense of livelihood, a sense of contentment. Uh, didn't necessarily have anything to do with financial resources. And so you could say, I'm happy as a Dane from now on. But the Bible says right here in this psalm, it tells us how it is that we could be happy. It's when we put our trust in God. And I think that does lead to happiness when we get to that point when we know when we know that there is someone we can trust. That's difficult to do, isn't it? Because even the people that we have trusted in our lives, the people that, that are closest to us, they'll let us down, won't they? Amen. That's just the, the nature of, of things. That's our, our, the reality of our world. And they may not mean to let us down, but they do. Even your best friend, your bestest best friend can let you down. That doesn't mean you should ever not put your trust in them. But if you really want to trust someone, you trust in God. Amen. And that leads to a sense of contentment and peace and joy. No matter what else is going on around you, you can find that sense of happiness that comes from trusting in God. But the psalmist gives another reason for doing this. 
And that is because God is watching after us when we are in need. Or God looks after people who are in need. The psalmist says this about it. And I love this part of the psalm because this is where it gets real, right? When we begin to look at this. Do not put your trust in princes. Some of the other translations do this better, especially for Americans. We don't have, well, we had Prince, right? Prince. He died. But, um, and maybe you trusted in Prince. I don't know. But, uh, but we don't have royalty here. We've gotten close here lately, but we don't have royalty. We don't have kings. We don't have uh, people that, you know, are in line to a throne or anything like that. Uh, for someone in that system, whether it's in England or, or wherever else, uh, they might hear this different. They might go, oh yeah, princes. The princes are supposed to be looking after us. Or the king or queen is to look after us and make sure that all uh, within the kingdom are taken care of. The way that this is translated in modern translations is powerful people. Do not put your trust in powerful people, in mortals in whom there is no help. Psalmist goes on to say, who executes, this is uh, describing what, what God does. This is why the psalmist says, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Because God, you look after the people who are in need. You execute justice for the oppressed. You give food to the hungry. Don't you love that? Show enough, uh, soul food catering showed up this morning. They called Sabra yesterday, George Cox lives in the neighborhood, says he wants to do things for the neighborhood. He grew up here. And so, young man, 24 years old, something like that, has his own business, probably really can't afford to give away food. But he says, I, I felt like I needed to do this. Shows up this morning, begins to, to feed, you know, to provide free food. Not just for us, but anybody who wanted to come along out there. God bless him. Amen. Whether he knew it or not, and I think he did, God used him to feed the hungry, right? Amen. And uh, that is a wonderful thing. God looks after those who are hungry. But also, the Lord sets the prisoners free. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. If it's the right prisoner, right? Okay. <laughs> the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. When was the last time you were bowed down? Probably not long ago. The Lord loves the righteous. The psalmist is looking around. He's seeing all of this. He has seen how God has taken care of hungry people. He has seen how God has helped those who have been imprisoned. He has seen those who have been bowed down and lifted up by God. This is something he has been an eyewitness to. And the Lord loves the righteous. So the Lord watches over the strangers if you ever want to just mark up your Bible for action words, things that God does, you could do it right here in Psalm 146. You could go through and just put a line under every verb that's here and say, this is what God does. God watches over the strangers. We like to call them aliens, right? People who don't belong in that particular nation or city. God looks after the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow. But the way of the wicked... He brings to ruin. So the psalmist was encouraged by the fact that just when, when he thinks that all of the wicked people are getting away with all the wickedness that they do, God's watching. God is still in control. 
I was listening to, I was on a nine and a half hour drive from Lubbock yesterday, had a lot of time to listen to the radio. And uh, one of the great Johnny Cash songs came on, God's Gonna Cut You Down. <laughs> it's kind of about John the Baptist. Uh, it's a great song, but it fits with this Psalm 146. God is going to cut you down. He's talking about the wicked. He's talking about the powerful who are wielding power over people in ways that they shouldn't be doing. And uh, there's also another song that we sang this morning. And this comes, uh, uh, there's a lot in this particular book. We're going to do this book next in our midweek study. But it's Reconstructing the Gospel. Finding Freedom from Slaveholder Religion. It is written by uh, an ex-Southern Baptist. (laughs) Uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, who is white. He's dealing with his whiteness, and he is learning about that. He has intentionally moved into a predominantly black neighborhood, and he, is, he and his family are, are learning and trying to understand so much uh, of what they don't understand that they've not been able to see from their own uh, from his own perspective. But he, he, he writes about the song that we sang, I Will Trust in the Lord. And uh, I want to read to you what he says here. Uh, there's quite a bit that he says, but just a paragraph. I will trust in the Lord is a confession that each of us must make for ourselves, but one that joins us together in a way of life that makes clear how faith means entrusting our lives to the God of the universe. We cannot save ourselves. And no idea or system of this world is going to save us either. Our foremothers in bondage could not hold their babies and whisper that everything was going to be all right unless they entrusted their well-being to a mystery beyond the plantation and its masters, beyond the world system that they knew. I will trust in the Lord was their confession, and it must be ours if we are to have church wherever we are today. The song gets into the gospel of resistance. This bit about the battlefield. It's about justice. It's about resistance. It's about knowing when you get out there and, and you work for the oppressed, when you get out there and you feed the hungry, when you get out there and you, you deal with prisoners and strangers and widows and orphans, that you're going to have resistance. But that God is watching. God is looking. And He is seeing what is going on. And God is ultimately going to take care of that. And so as we, as we hear this, as we sing this song, as, as we hear these words of this psalmist, we can begin to understand and realize that God is watching. And sometimes we don't feel that, do we? It's like God must must be blind. God God must be indifferent. God must not even be there. Amen. How could all of this go on? But also knowing that as as we find ourselves helpless at times that God is watching. God knows when you're hungry. Amen. God knows when you're oppressed. See the problem with oppression is you you're secluded. Just like if you're a prisoner, you're, you're in a cell somewhere. You're away from people that can encourage you. You're away from the, uh, the daylight. You're away from things that could give you comfort. 
God is watching. Back in their society, you're a widow. You really don't have much hope unless you have people that are going to look after you and help you because the society was built in such a way that women had no way to take care of themselves or get income or anything like that. It was totally dependent on men. If you're a, a child and your parents die, what hope do you have? Your hope is in God. God is watching. God is looking out. God is at work. And we are to hear that. And it is to help us as we work with the oppressed, as we work with those who are in prison with we, and, and getting out of prison or jail, when we work with those who are hungry like we do on Thursday nights, when we work with people who, who have uh, financial needs and, and, and need uh, resources and encouragement and, and maybe just a hand up, Amen. that we could know God is helping us and God will help us, that God is watching. And that gives us encouragement to go on, Right? It gives us reasons to trust in God. We cannot do it by ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot save the world by ourselves. But God can. Do you believe it? Another reason to trust in God is because God is God, right? Seems simple, right? Look at, at what the psalmist says here. Just thinking about all of this. And I love this picture that is here of the stars and and all that, just the wonder uh, of walking outside and looking. Uh, When I was in Lubbock, I walked out to my car one night from the hotel and I I looked up and you can see, you can see miles and miles of Texas, right? (laughs) There are no trees, there are no hills, it's just flat. Uh, But the stars are so bright and you can see so much. Uh, and you can take in the grandeur of, of God. The Lord will reign forever, the psalmist says. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. The psalmist is giddy. The psalmist is excited, realizing that God is God. Maybe the psalmist was out looking at the stars, considering the heavens, considering and being mindful of how small he was in the midst of all that God had made, but determining, wow, I guess I don't have anything to worry about, God, because you are still God. I love what Einstein said about um, physics. He says, the more I study physics, the more I'm drawn to metaphysics. Dealing with the reality of how uh, existence and how things come together in a particular way, determining what the meaning of those realities are and how they relate to one another the meaning of life, the meaning of physical things, of matter, of individuals. When we consider all that God has made, when we look at the heavens and consider just the amazing uh, things that God has done, then we realize that God is God. That comes from when we are aware of God's presence around us. That's why this prayer of silence is so powerful. And I recommend you just this week, every day this week, find five minutes of your day. Maybe go longer, but at least five minutes. Sit down in a chair somewhere that is quiet, in a room that is quiet, and just sit there. Close your eyes. Do a little deep breathing. Recognize your your chair that's holding you up, your feet that are on the floor, that you're grounded in what's going on around you. You 
uh, you recognize that God has given you the breath that God has given you, that, uh, that God is with you, that God loves you, you can just begin to contemplate all the things of, uh, uh, that, that relate to the God that is with you. I just encourage you to do that. Be aware. Be aware in the conversations that you have with one another. Maybe today at lunch. Maybe when you go home or wherever it is that you happen to be today. Pay attention. When you look in a child's face, when a child says something that makes you just laugh, or when a child says something that makes you just angry, <laughs> whatever the case, wherever you happen to be, just pay attention and be aware that God is God in the midst of all of this. And delight in how God is in the midst of all of this. Be delightful in all of that. And recognize it. Amen. And maybe even sing a little bit. If you sing like me, you need to go off somewhere by yourself. And sing by... I was scared to even sing in the car yesterday. It sounds so bad. But maybe just sing a little bit. Bill will give you... More words to the songs. He'll give you whatever it is you need. If you want to learn more about some songs that we sing, we don't advise that you take a hymn book home with you, but we'll, we'll hook you up with some songs. If you'd like to know some songs you could sing that will help you delight more in God. Well, all this to say, there are more reasons that we could consider. We just don't have time to look at all of them this morning. But as I think back about that group exercise, trust building, you really do want to look behind you and see who it is that's back there. You want to know who it is that's there. And even more, you want them to know you. I find that that is true with God. When I look back in my life and see that God has been there for me in the past, I can know that God will be there for me in the future. Amen. And as we do that as individuals and as a church, we find someone, finally, that we can trust.